0: Well, thank you, Melissa, for preaching my sermon. (laughs) Not much left to be said. Ah. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we confess that we do need you. We need you every hour, uh, every minute. And Lord, I pray that... uh, over the next few minutes while we consider again the good news of Good Friday, that, uh, that you'll speak to our hearts, that our lives will be changed, that eyes will be opened. Uh, Lord, we ask for your spirit to do only the work that you can do, and we ask you to bless your word even now to your people, in Jesus' name, amen. So, there was a man named Philip. Uh, in Acts 21, he's identified as the evangelist, one of the seven. And he was known to be a man with a good reputation, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. Philip was among those scattered from Jerusalem by the persecution that broke out after the stoning of Stephen. You can read about that in Acts 7. The Bible tells us that Philip went to a city in Samaria where he proclaimed to them the Christ. And we're told in the scriptures that the whole city listened to him. The whole city. And there was much joy in that city. Now in the midst of this an angel appeared to Philip and said, Philip, go down to the Gaza road south of Jerusalem, it's a desert place, go down there. And Philip obeyed and he went down there and while he was there he came upon and a traveling entourage and the spirit said to him go near the carriage go near the chariot and so he did he went up and he sat by the chariot and he heard a man inside the chariot reading from the prophet isaiah and he asked the man he says do you understand what you're reading And the man said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? The passage he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. This is the passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life? was taken away from the earth. So I wanna ask, how can we understand Good Friday? What is good about Good Friday? Unless someone explains it. So a brief personal story. I was raised in a non-religious family. Uh, Culturally, we were exposed to Christianity. And we were, uh, I reasoned that by default, we were Lutherans. And, and the reason I got this, one, we lived in Minnesota. But I had friends who were Catholic, and I knew we weren't Catholic. We didn't eat fish on Friday. And I had a friend named Scott in grade school. He was, he was Jewish, and he went to Hebrew school on Saturday. I knew we weren't Jewish. But every third or fourth Easter, we faithfully went to the Lutheran church down the street. So, and I always wondered about Good Friday. I mean, what is good? What could possibly be good about an innocent man being arrested in the middle of the night, dragged from one hearing to another, all the time being falsely accused, mocked, beaten, spit upon, and then after being judged not guilty, handed over to the will of a mob to be publicly executed. How could that possibly be good? So, like the Ethiopian eunuch, who said, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? That was me. How could I possibly understand unless somebody explains it to me? So let me go back to the Ethiopian. The scripture tells us that he was in Jerusalem to worship. I'm going to combine some history with some speculation. This man was a God-fearer who had some knowledge of the God of Israel, and the speculation is that this knowledge of the God of Israel came from a visit 900 years before when the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon to hear his wisdom. You can read about that in 1 Kings, also in 2 Chronicles. She came to hear Solomon's wisdom. A side note, this is something interesting I ran into. Ethiopian tradition holds that that queen who visited Solomon founded the dynasty, the royal dynasty that ruled Ethiopia until the death of Haile Selassie in 1975, the last king of Ethiopia. It's quite possible and it seems reasonable to me to assume that she brought back some of the sacred scrolls with her to her home. And considering the timeline, these could have included the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, could have included Psalms, could have included the law of Moses. And if that's true, the royal house in Ethiopia would have had access to these scrolls. And this high official who the Book of Acts tells us was in charge of all the treasury would have had access to those materials and he was a God-fearing man. It seems reasonable to me. More speculation. It also seems reasonable to me that his queen, Candace, could have commissioned him to get us more scrolls. Get us more scrolls. So, now we see him... uh, On the way home coming back from Jerusalem and he's got the scroll of Isaiah who was a prophet around 700 BC and he's reading these words again his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth and he asked Philip about whom is the prophet speaking himself or someone else so beginning with this very scripture He told them the good news about Jesus. So let's go to Isaiah 53. You've got your Bibles with you. Let's go to things. And I imagine the conversation going something like what this is going to go tonight. Is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And I want to start at Isaiah 52, 13, where we read, My servant shall act wisely. We remember in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says that the fear of the Lord, the fear of Jehovah, is the beginning of wisdom. So we might understand at that point what Isaiah is saying is that my servant's actions will be founded on the fear of the respect for the esteem of Jehovah. One commentator that I'm fond of defines wisdom like this. Wisdom is forgetting earthly things and thinking about heaven with discretion in all our deeds. It is a spiritual death of fleshly affections through the joy of raised thought. I'm going to read that again. Wisdom is forgetting earthly things and thinking of heaven with discretion in all our deeds. It is a spiritual death of fleshly affections through the joy of raised thought. And this brings immediately to my mind Hebrews 12:2, where we read that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is therefore seated at the right hand of the throne of God back in Isaiah 52 13 again it says behold my servant shall act wisely he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted Jesus now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God verse 14 52 14 as many as were astonished at you his appearance was marred beyond human semblance his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Hebrews twelve three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. We need to consider both the what and the why of Good Friday and first the what. And I'm gonna run through some of this in Isaiah hitting high points. 52.14 Many were astonished. His appearance was marred. 53.1 Who has believed? Verse 2 He had no form or majesty, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, scorned, and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised, scorned, And we esteemed him not. We held him in low regard. We regarded him as stricken, as smitten by God and afflicted. And now we come up to the Ethiopian's question. Who was this man who was oppressed and afflicted? Who was by oppression and judgment taken away, cut off out of the land of the living? Verse 9, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was crushed. He was put to grief. He had anguish of soul. He poured out his soul unto death and was numbered among the transgressors. I imagine Philip walking the Ethiopian through the prophecy and then turning to the account of recent events. And we can read them in any of the four Gospels. But in Luke twenty-two fifty-four, 54, we read that It was at night, and they seized him and led him away. He was taken to the high priest's house, and we read that the men holding him, this is without a trial, the men holding him were mocking him as they beat him. When the day came, they led him away to their council, and they questioned him, and they did not believe him. Who has believed our testimony? They led him to Pilate, and they accused him of multiple accusations of misleading the people. A forbidding tribute to Caesar, of claiming to be a king. And Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And he responded, you have said so. And Pilate pronounced judgment on him. He pronounced the verdict. He said, not guilty. I find no guilt in this man. And they said, he stirs up the people. And Pilate sent him off to Herod. And Herod questioned him vigorously, but Jesus made no answer, as a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was vehemently accused by the scribes and Pharisees. He was treated with contempt and mocking by the soldiers and by Herod, and then he was sent back to Pilate. And Pilate again pronounces the verdict, not guilty. And then something strange to our ears, I find no guilt in this man, so I will punish him and release him. Who punishes an innocent man? I will punish him and release him. But they cried out, away with him. And when you read the account, the option is given, they could have Barabbas, a murderer, or they could have Jesus, the king of the Jews, in whom was no guilt. And they had such low regard... For him, such unbelief that they said, Give us a murderer. We have higher regard for a murderer than for this Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate appealed to them a second time and a third time while the mob cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate says, Why? What has he done? I find no guilt in this man. I will punish him and release him. The mob persisted and they prevailed. The Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. He was despised and rejected, and that is the what of Good Friday. He was let out, an innocent man, beaten, mocked, spit on, publicly executed while being jeered at and mocked with a cruel and horrific death, and that is the what. Of Good Friday, and it is indeed horrible until you understand the why. And so we go back to Isaiah. In fifty-two fifteen it says, So shall he sprinkle many nations, many peoples. Chapter fifty-three, verse four. He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. For Yahweh, Jehovah, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10 of 53 says, it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief His soul makes an offering for sin. My servant, the righteous one, will make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I think this is what Philip shared with the Ethiopian official on the Gaza Road that day. He took the 700 year old prophecy and told him the current events and said, This is the man. A little more of my imagination, if you bear with me. I imagine Philip may have been one of the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost but another way I imagine it, actually the way I prefer to imagine it, I prefer to imagine that Philip was one in the crowd on the day of Pentecost. When Peter, emboldened by the Spirit, stood up and said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men, Therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And I see Philip among the many in the crowd saying, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter's reply, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus the Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And I imagine Philip, among the 3,000 baptized and added to the church that day. And now, Philip is sharing this same story about this same Jesus. This Jesus, the Christ, who by the deliberate, definite foreknowledge of God was put to death by the hands of wicked men to make atonement for the sins now he's now Philip who heard it in a crowd and repented in the midst of a crowd and was baptized in the midst of a crowd is telling one man this is who the prophet is speaking of. And like the many on the day of Pentecost who were cut to the quick, cut to the heart, the Ethiopian cut to the heart and understanding the message says look there's water. What prevents me? What prevents me? from being baptized. So they went down into the water and he was baptized and we're told that he went on his way rejoicing. That's good news. That's good news. It is a terrible, awful thing that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, had to suffer because of our sin. He had to suffer because of my sin. He had to suffer because of Philip's sin because of the Ethiopian sin, because of your sin, because of our sin. The good news is that he was punished for our transgressions and by his stripes we're healed. And what should we do when that message lands at home, when it cuts us to the quick, when we get it at a heart level? What should we do? We should repent. And be baptized into the name of this Jesus, the Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. That we might be born again to a living hope and joined to his family, the church. It is good news. It is Good Friday. Let's pray. Invite the musicians back.